Amen. All right, this evening I'm going to be preaching about languages in light of the Bible or just the subject of language in the Bible. Now here, and when we get into Genesis chapter number 11, this is probably one of the most prominent passages in all of the Bible that has to do with language in general or just different languages. But when you stop and you step back and you just think about the Bible and you, and you try to uh, uh, you know, come to a conclusion on how important language is, you'll realize that it's extremely important. Just the subject in general of language. How was the world itself created? By what? By the Word of God. Now this isn't just a nebulous word. When you break it down and it comes down to it, God was speaking a language. God spoke a language. He spoke real words from whatever language that it is. We're not given a specific, you know, it doesn't tell us. You know, but you, if you stop and you think about it, He was speaking a language. Not only that, He created Adam and Eve, and, and instantly, what does he start doing? He starts interacting with Adam, and he starts interacting with Eve, and he, and he, of course, blesses them, and tells them, and says the words, be fruitful and multiply. He spoke to them. They heard this, and he blessed them with words. He gave man the ability to communicate. We have the ability to communicate that no other, you know, creature has through language. Through language where we can speak, we can understand each other, we can put our ideas into words and then convey these, the, you know, these thoughts through language. I mean, this is a very big subject in the Bible. And what I'm going to do in this, this is going to be a, a lot of it, in, uh, by and large, going to be a Bible study. But we're going to be looking at a lot of extra-curricular, extra extra-biblical, I mean, extra-biblical things that you've heard. And we're going to look at the Bible and see if we can deduce these types of things. And I'm going to, I got a few things from Wikipedia that I'm going to read to you. And, uh, and, and then we're going to look at the Bible with that in mind. Now here in Genesis chapter number 11, I want to begin reading in verse number 1. Genesis chapter number 11, verse number 1. Just 11 chapters in, the Bible says this. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. So the entire earth, the entire world is speaking the same language. Just one, there's only one language on all of the earth. This is of course immediately after Noah and, and uh, his family gets off of the ark. It says in verse number 2, And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. So all of mankind dwelt in this area. Of course they begin to multiply at this time. It says in verse 3, And they said one to another, Go to let us make brick and burn them throughly. And they had brick for stone and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Verse 5, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower with the children of men, which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one. And they have all one language. And this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Verse 7. Go to, let us go down and there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth. And it says, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth. And from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. So notice God came down and supernaturally 
supernaturally confused their languages. I mean, you have to put yourself in the shoes of these men that were there building and speaking to one another. And then just all of a sudden, obviously, this is miraculous. This is supernatural. You know, maybe, you know, you're, you know they're, they are uh, you know, building with, it says slime and brick and mortar and these things. So maybe they're using a trowel and one guy goes to pick up a trowel. He's like, hey, hand me that trowel over there. The guy leans over to get it and he goes back to hand it to him and he like tells him thank you. And it's in a totally different language. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're speaking and you're speaking this other, everyone's confused. Nothing's making sense. I mean, this is a pretty big deal. You know, this is where God, it says, confused the languages. And that's what the word babble means. Like when someone's babbling, it's confusing, right? That's why it says he confounded the languages. I want you to turn with me. Uh, I want you to go over to, uh, first let's go to Judges chapter number 12. Judges chapter number 12. Judges chapter number 12. Now here in Genesis 11, if we back up to Genesis 10, it actually tells you how he broke these languages up and he divided them up through nations. He divided them through nations. So these different nations would speak different languages. These different people groups would speak different languages. It says in Genesis 10, 5, which is the introduction to 11, by these were the isles of the Gentiles divided in their lands, everyone after his tongue, after their families, in their nations. So notice it says tongue there. 10.20 says this, Genesis 10.20 says, These are the sons of Ham after their families, after their tongues, in their countries, in their nations. So notice when it's speaking about a nation, they have a tongue that's associated with that nation or with that people, right? Genesis chapter 10 verse 31 says, These are the sons of Shem after their families, after their tongues, in their lands, after their nations. So again, we see that the nations are divided up and with each nation, one of the distinctives is that they speak their own language or they speak their own tongue. And God desired for them to be scattered throughout with different nations and each nation speaking different languages or speaking different tongues. Now, our King James Bible, of course, is written in English, isn't it? It's written in English. That's what it was written down in. Now, it was a translation, of course. The Bible itself was not originally written in English. You know, Moses did not speak and write in English, nor did Paul when he wrote down, you know, the epistle to the Romans or 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. It was not written in English. What we have here is a translation. It was translated. Now, I'm going to read to you, I want to read to you from just the inside of the King James Bible. This is what it says on uh, one of the cover pages. It says this, The Holy Bible containing the Old and New Testaments. And it says this, Translated out of the original tongues and with the former translations, diligently compared and revised. Now, if you look up what the original tongues and original languages are, we are told that the original languages are Hebrew and Greek. There, are, there is a little bit in the Old Testament that shows up in Aramaic. There are certain portions that, that show up in Aramaic. And in the New Testament, there is a slightly different dialect in the book of Luke and in the book of Acts. It is still a form of Koine Greek if you really look at what everybody says about it. It's because Koine Greek is like the common Greek, right? That's what Koine means. It means common. So it's the language that the common man spoke, but Luke and Acts is more of an advanced version of that. And when you read it, you can see that it's written in more of, of an articulate, scholastic type of, of writing or literary standpoint. So we have Hebrew is the Old Testament and Greek in the New. 
But there are some portions of the Old Testament that are written in Aramaic. Uh, according to uh, Wikipedia is where I got this. And I've heard this a lot, but I actually looked it up and tried to find something legit or official. So here are the undisputed. No one disagrees with this. These are the undisputed occurrences of Aramaic in your Old Testament Bible. In what our Bible was translated from originally. Genesis chapter number 31 verse number 47 shows up in Aramaic. Genesis chapter 31 47. Jeremiah chapter number 10 verse number 11. I believe there's a specific sentence. There are in some of these it's like a word. In some of them it's like a phrase. Right? Jeremiah chapter number 10 verse number 11. There's a statement or a sentence in that. Then you have this. Now this is interesting. Daniel chapter number 2 verse 4 but starting in B. So only like half the verse. All the way to Daniel 7.28. So basically Daniel 4 all the way to Daniel 7.28. Your King James Bible which translated into English. The original was found written in Aramaic. Everything even and even the Bibles when you see them. If you look this up. The Bible that you know uh, will have Hebrew in it. So they'll have an Old Testament Bible, right? A Hebrew would have an Old Testament Bible, the books of the Bible, right? And they would have multiple books in Hebrew, but then you'd get to Daniel, and most of Dan or some of Daniel is written in Hebrew, but then there are large portions of that that are written in Aramaic. So this is across the board, is my point, in all copies. It's not like, oh, we only have these copies in Aramaic. This is an, even in the Hebrew text. They, these portions are in Aramaic. Ezra chapter number 4 verses 8 through 6 and then also verse 18. So in chapter 4 verses, uh, I'm sorry, I, I don't know why I worded that. No, 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 I see what I did here. I messed up. I should have put a semicolon. So Ezra chapter 4 verse 8 but then also uh, chapter 6 verse 18. And then this as well. Uh, chapter 7 verses 12 through 26. All of that is in Aramaic in all the texts that we have. Then there are this. Now this is very interesting and this caused me to look into this a little bit more. There are disputed passages or whether they're, not in, whether they're in Aramaic or whether they're not. This is Genesis 15.1. Some of these are just words. Numbers 23.10, Job 36.2a and Psalm 2.12. These are disputed passages. Now, that was, was uh, uh, you know, kind of odd to me that it said that they were disputed passages, be, you know, whether or not they were written in Aramaic. Once I had figured out that all of them basically contain the same thing. They all, in all the same places, they have Aramaic in all different, you know, collections of the books. The reason why is because Aramaic and Hebrew are so similar. That's why they're disputed whether or not this is actually in Hebrew or whether it's actually written in Aramaic. Because Aramaic is basically a version of Hebrew. It's just a changed version of Hebrew. It's just like a type of, it's just etymology. The language will begin to change. You know, I've heard people say it's like a bastardized version of you know, Hebrew. Which makes perfect sense why you have large portions of the Hebrew Bible showing up in Aramaic in what books? In Babylonian captivity books. Ezra and Daniel. Aramaic, when you look it up, is a Semitic language. It's, it's a group of Semitic languages. Semitic are just, you know, they come from the line of what would be Jews, you know, Semites, right? 
So these are Semitic languages. Aramaic is a type of Semitic language. There is Assyrian, uh, Assyrian Aramaic. There are multiple versions of, of what is Aramaic languages. And Hebrew, basically, while they were in the Babylonian captivity, started to be mixed in with Aramaic languages. Syriac, which is what the Chaldeans spoke. And Syriac, the tongue of Syriac, is mentioned in the Bible, is a form of an Aramaic language. So that makes perfect sense why the Hebrew would start to change in some ways into an uh, uh, Aramaic type of language. And some words may appear as you know, an Aramaic word later on or, or portions of it would be written down in Aramaic. So I said all that and now we're here in Judges chapter number 12. We're, uh, I want you to look with me at verse number 4. I said all that to say this, that there are... There are, there's something obviously called dialects. And even in English, we know that there are different dialects of English. There are all languages you have different types of dialects. I want you to look here in Judges chapter number 12. Judges, look with me at Judges chapter number 12. You can see this taking place in the book of Judges. So Judges chapter number 12, look at verse number 4 is where we're going to begin. Verse number 4, the Bible says this. Then Jephthah gathered together all the men of Gilead and fought with Ephraim. And the men of Gilead smote Ephraim because they said, Ye Gileadites are fugitives of Ephraim among the Ephraimites and among the Manassites. And the Gileadites took the passages of Jordan before the Ephraimites. And it was so that when those Ephraimites which were escaped said, Let me go over that the men of Gilead said unto him, Art thou an Ephraimite? If he said nay, then said they unto him, Say now, Shibboleth. And he said, watch this, Sibboleth. For he could not frame to pronounce it right. Then they took him and slew him at the passages of Jordan, and they fell at that time of the Ephraimites, forty and 2,000. Now I want you to think about this. Are, are these two groups able to communicate? Can they speak to one another? They speak to one another just fine, don't they? But how were they able to identify who were the Ephraimites? By just the slight difference in their language, right? Just the slight difference in the way that they pronounce words. It says that they could not frame to pronounce it the way in which the Gileadites would. So he'd say, they said, hey, say, you know, Shibboleth. And then they responded and they said what? Sibboleth. Now this is, this is very interesting because if you think about, these are, these are all groups that lived in Egypt together for many years, 400 years. And then they all traveled and moved, you know, through the wilderness and, and then they, you know, ended up, you know, planting in the land of Canaan. Now, uh, the Manassehites lived in one place and the Ephraimites lived in another. And this is basically how you'll have dialects changing over time, like socio-political reasons of people migrating and, and, and you, other people living closer to, uh, you know, to, to a certain group of people. And they'll begin, their language will begin to change based upon who they live closer to and who they are influenced by. So you have the whole nation of Israel and in one corner of Israel you have them speaking one type of dialect, right? And then in another corner, you have another type of dialect. And even as you look at the United States of America, you have the exact same thing here. You look at one corner, you have one type of language. You look at another corner, and you have another type of language. Like the Appalachian Mountains, for example. I mean, I don't know if you've looked up and listened to how people speak in the Appalachian Mountains, but it is a vast difference than how 
you and I speak. And everybody here probably has a little bit of a difference, you know, based upon where they're from. But there is a vast difference in the Appalachian Mountains. My family is actually from Breathitt County, which is the Appalachian Mountains. And we traveled there, and I went with my wife. Now, I grew up around my grandmother, and my, my grandfather died already, but my grandmother lived her life in the Appalachian Mountains. And I'm talking about the core of the Appalachian Mountains. So I'm used to being around people with a really thick, strong accent. And just to give you an idea of how strong that it is, when I went there with my wife, we arrived and we checked in at a hotel. And my wife went across the street while I got everything ready to grab some, some food to eat. And she walked into a pizza place and was in there for five or ten minutes and then came back out with no pizza. I'm like, what's going on? And she, she said to me these words, and she was as serious as a heart attack. We couldn't communicate. We were not, like I couldn't understand what she was saying. Literally, to the point where I had to go over there, you know, and, and translate. I guess I said, you know, shibboleth. And they were able to, you know, understand me. And I was able to understand her. And I ordered the pizza and got the pizza and brought it back. The very next day, something similar happened. We were there for a funeral. My wife, I had, I, you know, it was early in the morning and I wanted a coffee. And we pulled into Hardee's. And uh, I dropped my wife off to run in and grab a coffee real quick. And I'm just sitting right next to the door. And she came back out, and she gave me the money back, the cash back, and she said, I couldn't understand a word that lady said. I had to just look at what it said on there, you know, how much money that I owed her, and hand her the money. She said she literally couldn't even, there was two people she literally could not understand. Both are speaking English. Both of them are speaking the same language, the English language, but you see how strong dialects can become. The same thing happened with Israel, where there was, in one corner, people are saying Shibboleth when they say one word. And then in another corner, they're saying Sibboleth. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter number 26. Turn to Matthew chapter number 26. Matthew chapter number 26. We'll look at this in two uh, places. Matthew chapter number 26. It says this, And after a while... And after a while came unto him they that stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou also art one of them, for thy speech bereath thee. Go to Mark chapter number 14. Mark chapter number 14. Now who are those that are coming unto Peter? Are they, you know, Syrians or, you know, Gentiles? No, they're Jews. They, they are Israelites, aren't they? This is at the temple when Jesus was being brought to the temple. Mark chapter number 14, look at verse number 70. It tells you this. And he denied it again. And a little after, they that stood by said again to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for thou art a Galilean, and thy speech agreeeth thereto. So when they heard Peter speaking, they're like, I know what that sounds like. You sound just like him. So in that area, and this is, they're obviously speaking a language that they all, you know, they're communicating with one another. But when one person speaks, they can tell that there's a difference in the dialect. They can tell that there's a slight difference in the language. As much as I looked up about, you know, uh, you know uh, Aramaic and Hebrew, that's the difference. That there are passages that are 
if they that are disputed and there are passages that are undisputed. That some are extremely clear and some they're like, well, that this could be possibly Aramaic. So that shows that they are derivative one of the other language in some way or the other, whichever came first and how it actually worked. You know, there's actually debate about that as well. The point is that they are very, very similar, that the languages are extremely similar. I want you to go to Nehemiah chapter number 13. Nehemiah chapter number 13. Now one thing that is for sure, because like I said, people say the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, the New Testament was written in Greek. And I believe that to be so. I believe that that's, you know, uh, um, you know provable and, 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 and uh, understandable. And I think that you can actually deduce that from the Bible. And that's one thing I want to look at right now. <laughs> Nehemiah chapter number 13, verse number 24. Nehemiah chapter number 13, verse number 24. One thing... <clears throat> Well, I was getting ready to make the statement was one thing that you can see from the Bible is foundational is of course that the Jews being a people, the Jews had their own language. There was a language of the Jews. There was a language of the Jews. Look at Nehemiah chapter number 13. I want you to look at verse number uh, 23 we'll read first. In those days also saw I Jews that had married wives of Ashdod, of Ammon, and of Moab. And their children spake half in the speech of Ashdod, and could not speak in the Jews' language, but according to the language of each people. Go to Esther chapter number 8. Esther chapter number 8. Esther chapter number 8. Look at verse number 9. <clears throat> it says this in Esther chapter number 8. Then were the king's scribes called at that time in the third month, that is the month Sivan, on the three and twentieth day thereof. And it was written according to all that Mordecai commanded unto the Jews and to the lieutenants and to the deputies and rulers of the provinces which are from India unto Ethiopia and hundred twenty and seven provinces unto every province according to the writing thereof. And then it goes on and says, and unto every people after their language and to the Jews according to their writing. And it says, and according to their language. That tells you that there is, of course, which seems to be very simple, that there is a people of the Jews, and that people has, have a language. There's a language of the Jews because there's a people of the Jews. Not only that, they have a writing. There is the writing of the Jews. Go to 2 Kings chapter number 18. <clears throat> Excuse me. Actually, I'll just read this to you. I want you to go to John 5. 2 Kings 18 says this, Then said Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and Shibna, and Joah, unto Rebshikah, Speak, I pray thee, to thy servants in the Syrian language, for we understand it. And talk not with us in the Jews' language, in the ears of the people that are on the wall. So notice that everyone that was a Jew understood the Jews' language. There's just one language that everybody understands. If you're a Jew, you understand the Jews' language. Verse 27, But Rebshika said unto them, Hath my master sent me to thy master and to thee to speak these words? That means that only those that were educated also spoke the Syrian language. Everybody else didn't speak the Syrian language. They spoke the language of the Jews. Hath he not sent me to the men which sit on the wall that they may eat their own dung and drink their own piss with you? Then Rebshika stood and cried, with a loud voice, it says, in the Jews' language, and spake, saying, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. So what did they speak? They spoke the Jews' language. Did they speak Syrian? Not everyone. He said, I didn't just come to, the, to, to your master and you. I came to speak to everyone, right? And what did they speak? The Jews' language. When there was a writing where, where uh, uh, you know, the king wanted to speak to everyone, Ahasuerus, 
He wrote to the Jews and he wrote in their language, in the Jews' language. Now the scriptures, the Bible tells us, they were committed, the oracles were committed unto who? Unto the Jews, right? They were given to the Jews. Now that should be very simple to understand the fact that it was given to the Jews, it's going to be written in the Jews' language, right? And uh, you see in the Old Testament, Nehemiah and Ezra, both of them standing up and what do they do? They read in the audience of the people, they read the, you know, the book of the law, which is the Old Testament. It is, of course, written in the Jews' language. And I want you to look here, John chapter number 5, verse number 2. The Bible tells you what the Jews' language is. Jews are, of course, uh, uh, more of a specific word of a Hebrew. It says, Now there is at Jerusalem, by the sheep market, a pool, which is called, it says, in the Hebrew tongue... Bethesda having five porches. Now turn with me to Revelation chapter number 16, verse number 16. Revelation chapter number 16, verse number 16. So the Jews' language, of course, is the Hebrew tongue. That is the language. <clears throat> what we would call Hebrew. There's a couple other ways to deduce this. If you look at Revelation chapter number 16... Verse number 16. This happens multiple times. It says here in verse number 16. It says, And he gathered them together into a place, and it says, called in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. Right? Now, what's interesting about this is he's writing this, you know, uh, the book of Revelation. He's writing this, and he's quoting from a passage. He's writing about a passage right now. He's quoting a source. This is, this is actually found in Ezekiel. This is referring to the fact of the, the Valley of Megiddo, right? That is what Armageddon is, the Valley of Megiddo. And right here, notice what it says. It says, and he gathered them together into a place, and it says, called in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. Why does he say the Hebrew tongue? That's telling you that the source that he is deriving this, this from is written in the Hebrew tongue. That's the whole purpose. He's, he's quoting from the source. Further proof of that is when you look at quotations in the New Testament. Matthew chapter number 1, verse number 23 says this, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And then it says this, Which being interpreted is God with us. So, when you look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, we can see that whatever the Old Testament was written in, was, when it's quoted, like here in Revelation 16, it actually tells you, hey, it's, it's written in the Hebrew tongue. Or this is you know, what is called in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. That's because that's the source. So that would make perfect sense. The, the scriptures were, were committed unto the Jews. There's the Jews' language. The Jews speak Hebrew. Therefore, it would be written in Hebrew. And when you're going to quote a source, you're going to tell the person who is reading whatever you're writing, if it's in another language what it was written in originally. Just like here, which is in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. That is found in the book of Ezekiel. It talks about the valley of Megiddo or Armageddon. Matthew 1.23 is quoting Isaiah. And notice he says, which being interpreted is God with us. There are some people out there who will say that the Old Testament and New Testament are all written in the same language. There's different groups of this. Some people say it's all written in Hebrew. And that makes zero sense when you have him saying here, Emmanuel, which being interpreted, is God with us. It doesn't make sense to have to interpret that once you get to the New Testament. If, because if you look it up in the Old Testament, is it interpreted? It's not interpreted. Why? Because it's a word that's written in that language. 
You can actually find it in the next chapter. I think I've showed some of you guys that, not from the pulpit, but you can find it in the next chapter where it like defines itself. But it, it only says which being interpreted is God with us because it's now quoting a text that is written in a different language. So now once it's quoted, it's going to tell you which being interpreted is God with us. Now the word interpret in the King James Bible is the word that we would use translate. When you look at 1 Corinthians you know, uh, 14, it's talking about tongues, right? And it says that if you're going to speak in an unknown tongue, pray that you may interpret. An unknown tongue is something that you don't understand. It's saying pray that you translate, right? Even in uh, you know, uh, uh, official use, when they have someone standing by, that person is called an interpreter. Hey, bring in an interpreter, right? It's going to be someone that's going to translate. That's what the word interpret means. So when the Bible says which being interpreted is, it's saying which being translated is. That's what it's saying. It's being translated is God with us. Look at Revelation chapter number 9, verse number 11. Revelation chapter number 9, verse number 11. We'll see something similar to this. Revelation chapter number 9, verse number 11. <clears throat> it says this in Revelation 9, 11. And they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon. But in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. Now, I've heard people say that you can't translate names. That's one thing that I've heard somebody say. Now, this right here defeats that because he tells you the name in two different languages. So you can claim that it was written in Hebrew. Well, I can say, hey, look, it's in Greek. Or you can claim that it was written in Greek and I can say, oh, well, he translates to Hebrew. So you can prove that names can be translated, number one. But number two, it's interesting that Hebrew and Greek are both what's used here. And I believe that that's very clearly because the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. Even though portions are Aramaic, it's a, it's a, a form or a derivative of Hebrew. And then the New Testament is written in Greek. Now he says, he tells you Hebrew because what he's writing in is not Hebrew. It's Greek. And the only reason why he tells you afterward what his name is in Greek is because he just told you in Hebrew. And, and that may sound confusing, but I'll explain to you real quick in English. It'd be like this. So first he says this. It says, he hath, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon. It would be like me saying, you know, in Spanish his name is Jose, right? But then I would say this afterward. You know, but we would call him what? Joe is Jose, right? Joe. So that's after you, I would even bring up his name in Spanish, I would then afterwards tell you in English what it is. That's the only reason why the English is even mentioned here. If I was not telling you a foreign language, I would just say his name is Joe. Right? And that's the reason why he uses but here as well. It's the exact same wording if we were speaking today and we cited another language that we would use. We would say but. In English, we would say this. We would say Joe. So it's interesting that Hebrew and Greek showing that those are the two audiences that would be speaking there. The Old Testament is Hebrew, the New Testament is Greek. I want you to go to Acts chapter number 21. Acts chapter number 21. To show that uh, here in Acts chapter 21 that you can see that Paul speaks Hebrew and Greek both. And that these are two common languages. Paul speaks Hebrew and Paul also spoke Greek. And he would go back and forth from Greek and Hebrew. This was very, very common. And the reason is because, of course, they're being ruled over by the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire spoke Greek. And uh, their language, you know, a form of Hebrew is Aramaic. They were speaking, you know, Hebrew. The, the Bible refers to it as Hebrew, so we'll say it's Hebrew. Of course, it's Hebrew. And, uh, you know, it, he, would go, he would speak Hebrew to Hebrews, but when he spoke to Greeks, he would speak Greek. He would go back 
And fourth, look here at, uh, at Acts chapter number 21. Look at verse number 31. It says this, And as they went about to kill him, tidings came unto the chief captain of the band that all Jerusalem was in an uproar, who immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down unto them. And when they saw the chief captain and the soldiers, they left beating of Paul. Then the chief captain came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains and demanded who he was and what he had done. And some cried one thing, some another among the multitude. And when he could not know the certainty for the tumult, he commanded him to be carried into the castle. And when he came upon the stairs, so it was that he was born of the soldiers for the violence of the people. For the multitude of the people followed after, crying, Away with him! And as Paul was to be led into the castle, he said unto the chief captain, he said, May I speak unto thee? Who said, Canst thou speak Greek? So he obviously, when he said this, he just started speaking in Greek. He's able to respond to him and he said, Canst thou speak Greek? He's obviously surprised when he did this. So what language was he speaking with the others? Of course, Hebrew, when he heard him speaking before. And you'll see that here further. Verse 38, Art not thou that Egyptian which before these days made us an uproar and led us out into the wilderness, 4,000 men that were murderers? But Paul said, I am a man which am a Jew of Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city. And I beseech thee, suffer me to speak unto the people. Now verse 40. And when he had given him silence, Paul stood on the stairs and beckoned with the hand unto the people. And when there was made a great silence, he spake unto them, it says, in the Hebrew tongue, saying, Men, brethren, and fathers, chapter 22, verse 1. Hear ye my defense which I make now unto you. And when they heard that, he spake in the Hebrew tongue to them, they kept the more silence. And he saith. So now they see that he's speaking in the Hebrew tongue. That obviously caught their attention. I want to show you something. I want you to go to uh, chapter 22, verse 7 now. Look at chapter 22, verse 7, where he starts giving his, uh, um, his testimony. It says this in verse 7. He says, And I fell unto the ground and heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I answered, Who art thou, Lord? And he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. Well, Paul gives his testimony two times. Once you go to chapter 26, verse 14, this is the other time Paul gives his testimony. There's a little bit of a difference here in chapter 26, verse 14, because, and I'll explain to you why in just a minute, it makes perfect sense. Verse 14, it says this, And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me, and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Now this is a very uh, uh, important passage in understanding something. Because you know who he's speaking to right now? He's speaking to Agrippa. Now what language is he speaking to Agrippa in? I mean, take a guess. He speak, what language did he speak to the other Roman officials in? He's speaking in Greek to them. Just like he, started, he changed and started speaking in Hebrew. Now you notice what it says here that it didn't say in the other passage? It says that Jesus spoke to him in Hebrew. Now why does he explain that? Think about this. That's because what Paul's speaking in right now is not Hebrew. So that's why he explains, think about this, that's why he explains when he tells Agrippa, he said this unto me in the Hebrew tongue. Then he goes on to say, in the Hebrew tongue he said this, I uh, lost my spot. What verse was it? 14? He said, and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? So the reason why he points out that he said this in the Hebrew tongue is because he's currently not speaking in the Hebrew tongue. Keep that in mind when you look at passages in Revelation 
chapter number 16, chapter number 9, when it says, you know, which in the Hebrew tongue is this. Why is that said? Because that's not written in the Hebrew tongue. Further proof of that is if you look at the, all throughout the, uh, uh, the book of John especially, there are a lot of citations. And we saw one of them already. Where it tells you, you know, uh, it'll tell you the name of the pool sometimes. It'll tell you small little snippets that people will say. And then it will tell you, hey, it's this in the Hebrew tongue. Why? Why did Paul say it here? Use this to interpret it. What's the reason? Because what's being written down right now is not in the Hebrew tongue. It's written down like, you know, what we are, are told is true. It's written down originally in Greek. I want you to go to uh, Acts chapter number 2. Acts chapter number 2, end on this point real quick. Acts chapter number 2. So you can deduce from Old New Testament, comparing Scripture with Scripture, you know, looking up you know, different tongues, different languages, what the Old Testament is written in, what the New Testament is written in. It, it makes perfect sense. You know, from, your, from your English King James Bible, that the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, the New Testament was written in Greek. That's what the Bible itself, when we read it in English, seems to teach. Now, you know, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 18, Paul makes a statement that he says, I speak with tongues more than ye all. You know, and tongues, obviously, his language is there. That's a perfect example of that, where he's speaking to one person in Greek, he's speaking to another person in Hebrew, and then he goes back to Greek. He traveled throughout the whole world, obviously, he had to communicate to these people. Not everybody spoke the language that he spoke. He's going to meet people that didn't speak in Greek. He's the evangelist to the entire world. Of course, of course he's going to speak you know, in tongues more than anyone at the Church of Corinth because he's got to communicate with everyone in all nations. So there are some people that will say, you know, that the, the Bible cannot be translated. You cannot perfectly translate the Bible. There are a lot of people that will say, you know, the English, you know, KJV or any English text, you know, can never be perfectly translated. You cannot have a perfect translation. Well, if that is the case, number one, the first point that needs to be made is then your New Testament is not perfect. Because your New Testament is translated, as we've seen already. The New Testament is written in Greek, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. We can see it tells you which being interpreted is. Every time the word translate comes up in, the, in, the, in the, your Bible, it's not talking about what we call translate, right? It's not speaking about like a translation from one language to the next. The word interpret is that word. That is what it's talking about. So it's telling you which being translated is God with us. That would mean that Matthew chapter number 1 verse number 23 has errors or could possibly have errors. If you don't believe in a perfect translation or that a translation cannot be perfect, well then you don't believe that the New Testament is perfect because the New Testament translate or interprets from the Old Testament. The King James Bible, we believe, obviously, is perfect and pure and errant and has no errors 100% from beginning to end. This is an English text. This is not Hebrew. This is not Aramaic. This is not Greek. But I believe that God, that God worked through the translators and that God preserved His Word unto all generations. And He did so through the universal language, the English language, which is what Every nation virtually speaks or can speak, let's say that. Virtually, you know, in every country, people will speak English. And it would be perf the perfect uh, language to use to get the gospel to the entire world. Look at Acts chapter number 2, verse number 1. The Bible says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. 
And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, of course, tongues there is languages. Verse 5, And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? So virtually all the disciples, by and large, were Galileans. Verse 8, And how hear we every man in our own tongue, again that's language, wherein we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and in Cappadocia and in Pontus and in Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and in the parts of Libya and Cyrene and the, and the strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. He says, We do hear them speak in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So you can see an example here of where the Word of God is being spoken purely. I mean, the Holy Ghost is involved, right? And I believe it's 17, if you count them up, different languages. 17 different languages that have the Word of God, the Gospel being preached to 17 different languages. And what's the purpose of why God, God, God got involved here? What was the reason why? Because he wanted mass amounts of people that spoke different languages. Of course, there's signs and wonders that are being fulfilled here. But he wanted people that spoke other languages to be able to hear the gospel, right? So you can see that God, when others need a translation, what does God do? God will supernaturally intervene and he will allow that person to be able to understand the word of God in their own language. There are many people today that claim to be Bible believers. They claim that you know, they believe the Bible. They're Christians. You know, I'm not saying that, a, that a, a, saved, a real saved Christian can't get messed up in something like this, but there are people that say, hey, I'm a Bible believer, I'm a Christian, that would also tell you, if you ask them about what they believed about the Word of God, is that, number one, you know, they, would, they would agree, yeah, it was written in Hebrew, it was written in Greek, and yet we have translations today, but it's far from the original. It's far from perfect. Not only that, they would even say if you went back to... Let's say we get the underlying Greek text. What the New Testament was translated from, they would tell you that that isn't even preserved. That that's not even perfect. Let alone saying that you could have it translated from one language to another. What can we see that the Holy Ghost does here and how God operates is that He will take the Word of God and that He will translate it into another language so that the people that speak those languages are able to receive the Word of God. Now, very, very little of our population today actually speaks the language that the New Testament was originally written in. Very, very few people. You know, if you believe in a God in heaven that supernatural and desires all of the earth to be saved, I don't see how in the world you couldn't believe that God's Word would be put in, and what makes the most sense, into English today. I don't see how that does, you don't deduce that in your own mind. That <clears throat> there's a loving God, He came down, He died on the cross, but, he, but you know, years went by and language changed so much that we don't even have access to the Word of God. What do you think God would do at the point when language is, you know, the language gets to the point where no one has access to the Word? Of course He's going to step in and he, he, we, He's promises to preserve His Word. 
And he's going to step in, he's going to translate the Word of God for us, or have it translated. I believe that the King James Bible, in English, it's translated perfectly from Hebrew and Greek, those original languages. I want you to go now to Revelation chapter number 5, verse number 9. <clears throat> End on this, this is a real interesting thought. Revelation chapter number 5, verse number 9. Revelation, the book of Revelation, chapter number 5, verse number 9. <clears throat> Revelation, chapter number 5, verse number 9 says this, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us to God, by thy blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. I want you to go now to Revelation chapter number 14. Revelation chapter number 14, look at verse number 2. Let's read that first. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of a great thunder. I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. Verse 3, it says, And they sung as it were a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the hundred and forty and four thousand which were redeemed from the earth. So you have an example in Revelation 5 and then also in Revelation 14 of different groups singing. Right? You have in Revelation 5, it talks about how they redeemed us from, you know, from out of every nation and tongue and kindred and every people. And just how interesting the thought is that we're all going to die one day. People that spoke a language that, you know, existed, you know, literally 3,000 years ago died. Who put their faith in Christ, who put their faith in the Messiah. You have the people that lived on this earth, you know, that spoke maybe Hebrew. You know, which was the more pure form of Hebrew. You have people that spoke Aramaic, which was the, you know, the, the changing, the different dialects of all of it, right? You have people that speak Syriac, you have people that speak English, German, you have the different dialects of English, you have all these different languages, and there are people that have gotten saved out of all these different people groups, out of all these different nations that all spoke different languages. But all these people are going to be gathered together in heaven, and all around one throne, Worshipping the same God, the same Savior, and we're all going to be singing a song to Him. Isn't that interesting? We're all going to be singing a song. Now, I doubt very seriously that some people are going to be singing in one language while other people are singing in another language. And we're all just screaming out in all these languages. You know, I believe, you know, that it's, that it's, that it's uh, you know, very basic, a very basic concept to uh, accept that we're all going to be singing in unison with one another. The same words in unity, singing to you know, you know, Christ, you know, singing to the Lamb, worshiping Jesus, right? So the question comes up, what language are we going to be speaking? Have you ever thought about that? The interesting thought of what language, like what we started the sermon with, what language did God speak when He spoke, you know, the world into existence? When we all stand before, you know, and it's not that difficult to say, oh, you know, He's going to supernaturally do this. Yeah, kind of like He did it at the Tower of Babel, my friend. What did He do? People that spoke all these different languages, He's like, bam! And then, or, or spoke one language, I'm sorry. He says, bam! And then all of a sudden, everybody's speaking different languages. Well, you know what he's going to do? You have everybody at the Tower of Babel that's divided, and all this division, and, you know, at that point, once he does that. But he's going to do the exact opposite. 
where all these people that spoke different languages, just bam, everybody's going to be speaking the same language. Everybody's going to be able to communicate. There's going to be great unity. And when you sing the song of the Lamb, you're going to be singing in one language. We'll all speak the same tongue, and I'll be able to speak back and forth words to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, and I've heard people try to say, hey, well, you know, I think we're all going to be speaking Hebrew. And I've heard that from one of the passages we went to where Jesus speaks in Hebrew to Paul. I believe that he spoke in Hebrew to Paul because Paul spoke Hebrew. That was Paul's mother tongue. That makes the most sense, right? You know, but you never know. That's a possibility. You know, I, I don't see that. I don't think that normally the people that say that are like all those that, you know, that love all things Jewish, right? That just love the Hebrews and they want to speak Hebrew, you know, and, and, do, and, and have all these traditions and stuff that the Hebrews do, right? Uh, Zephaniah chapter number 3. I'll read this to you. You don't have to turn there. Verse number 9. It says this. For then will I turn to the people a pure language, that they may all call upon the name of the Lord to serve Him with one consent. You know, you could say, I've heard people try to say that that is the, the uh, conclusion in the English Bible. You could maybe make some sort of application to that. You know, I, I don't believe that that's what that's for, referring to. I believe that God was in the translation. I believe we have a perfect version of, you know, Hebrew and the Greek you know, translated, interpreted into this book. I don't believe that that is the application. I believe that pure language is the language. He's going to turn to us when we're all worshiping before the throne. We're all speaking the same language. We're all singing in unison. We're all able to communicate. I'm going to be able to speak to Moses. I'm going to be able to walk up to Elijah and communicate with Elijah. He's going to understand me and I'm going to understand him. There's going to be great unity when he brings all the saints back together and we're all you know, uh, uh, speaking one language. So the Bible has a lot to do with language. It's interesting to study all these different various topics. You know, something that may seem to you like, you know, that's not important. Everything in the Bible is important. Everything matters. Everything's important. You know, this could, you know, compel you to maybe look into it a little bit more. You could study and find some more things about language and, and uh, you know, the, the Old Testament, what it was written in, the New Testament, what it, was, it, what it was written in. All these things matter. And we need to be able to defend these things and, and teach these things, you know, from the English text, not having to go back to all of this other you know, uh, you know, extra biblical type of resources. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you, dear Lord, for your word. We thank you that there are so many various and, and diverse topics.